What's up, guys? This is Ron Wyndham with the Not So Small Talk podcast. On today's pod, we bring back on uh, Corey Bennett, and we talk a little Yellowstone. Uh, last time we talked to Corey uh, about Yellowstone, we went into a little bit of the season one stuff, and then uh, specifically we dove into uh, season two, episode one. And so that was a couple weeks back, and our original plan was to try to do this weekly and try to catch up with uh, Yellowstone, which I think is like a episode seven or eight of season two. Um, but just due to schedules, we really haven't gotten to, to get back together. And so we thought about maybe just skipping to the most current episode and leaving out, you know, two through six. Um, but we just, there's too much content to skip and we enjoy talking about Yellowstone, uh, especially, you know, the characters and the plots and stuff. So we uh, decided to stay with our original format. And so today we covered episodes two and three. And uh, we, can, we plan to do the same until hopefully we catch up. So hopefully we'll catch up right before the finale. And then, you know, our last Yellowstone Season 2 episode will be an immediate reaction to um, the finale. So um, on the front end of this, we talk a little bit Atlanta Braves. Um, and then a little bit of Kevin Costner's character, John Dutton, and why we like John Dutton. And then we get into kind of specifics of Episode 2 and 3. So hope you like the show. in an interesting situation. Can I help you? Looking for John Dutton. Yeah, who's looking for John Dutton? Walls are closing in on all sides. We're fighting to survive. Your father's ranch isn't a kingdom, and he isn't a king. Your family deserves to lose everything. There are wolves everywhere here. I'll run this valley. There's more coming. You bet your ass it's coming. This is where change begins. With new partnerships. They will pull you, they will twist you, and tear you into tiny pieces. To be her, I have to attack him. I have to play dirty. We're about to find out how big a role you play in this family, son. You understand what I'm asking? for you. Ragnarok's so far from this place, I don't think it factors in at all. This cannot be fixed. All the angels are gone, son. There's only devils left. Hey, what's up, man? Yo ho, what's up? Not a whole lot, man. What's going on? Not much. It's been a while. It has been a while. Apologies. I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're still alive, dude. I didn't think I was gonna make it there for a while. You were uh, struggling for a solid week. Yeah, it's tough. I don't think it's uh, proper material for whoever may listen to this, but <laughs> my uh, digestive tract has been recovered. Have you recovered? Yeah, I think yesterday was. A pretty good day, and I woke up feeling 100% this morning, so we're good to dude, go. Whenever whenever you get sick, do you just feel like there's, like, multiple times throughout being sick where you're just like, I wonder what it's like to feel healthy again, and if I ever get back to feeling good, it's like I'm going to cherish every moment? Well, I've, every time I get sick, which fortunately isn't often, my whole thing is, like, 
I can't work out. Like I don't have the energy, even if I wanted to. Right. And so if I go like three days without doing anything, like laying around, I just feel awful as a yeah. human being. I'm like, right. I just want to exercise. I want to be able to eat. Just want to be able to do normal things. So I feel amazing right now. <laughs> no, I, that's exactly how I am, man. And I'm, I will admit I'm the biggest baby when I'm sick. It happens like every two or three years. Yeah. But when I do, it is everyone will know and I am miserable. And it's, it's partly kind of like what you described. It's not so much being sick. It's just not being able to do anything and be productive. And you just feel like a bum. Oh, yeah. And I'm just miserable. Courtney tells me every time she's like, you're the biggest baby when you're sick. I'm like, and I take offense to that. I'm like, no, I'm not. I mean, I so, probably am, but I'm like, don't tell me that. So do I. And then with, with Jackie being a nurse, I'm like, is this how you treat your patients? It's like, I can't even get any sympathy around here. You just ridicule them. Yeah. You're just judging me. Is this, like, this is what you do for a living. I feel like you should have this down and be extra sweet. To right. Me. Work on that bedside manner there, Jackie. Exactly. That's funny. But I am, I'm, 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 not, a, I'm not a great patient. Yeah, I'm good now. Cool, man. Um, so before we, I know we're on here to talk Yellowstone, but real quick, I don't want to diverge too much, but what are your feelings on the, the Braves moves sending uh Camargo down and, um, bringing a pitcher of, I don't know who the pitcher is, but I mean, I feel like they're getting, I wouldn't say desperate, but they're feeling the pressure to figure this shit out. I mean, I think it was bad timing yesterday with Ender getting sent down. So I don't know how it works with wait, Ender of... got sent down. I'm sorry, with uh, Ender getting hurt. Margo. Oh, yeah. Ender got hurt yesterday. Yeah, last night. I don't know what the actual um, – I didn't know that. What the news was, but he's been battling like a hammy, I think, like a hammy issue. And he came around third, hobbled up. I guess he popped it. So my guess is he's probably done for the season. Um, may come what? Back. Yeah. I mean, there's only a month left, not even a month left. And so he may come back in the postseason, but it's not looking good. So they sent – Camargo and Duvall down yesterday. Yeah, yeah that was the other one. They activate. I don't know if Hecavari or whatever his last name. Yeah, they was already yeah, on the roster. Yeah, um, the shortstop. And, yeah, and Ortega, and then the pitcher. So I think what's going to happen is they're going to end up bringing uh, Christian Pache up to try to try him out in the last couple of weeks. But mm-hmm. I think you have to send Camargo down. He's been mediocre defensively. He's been awful at the plate. He's had yeah. plenty of at bats. So like, you can't just keep waiting for him to be productive. And Duvall strikes out. Like, he went on a good run when he came up, but mm-hmm. he just strikes out way too much. So, Yeah, it seems like with all the advanced analytics, it's really no longer are the days where you can have these rookies or these guys that haven't come up for a while and have, like, these, I don't know, somewhat sustainable long runs of mm-hmm. good batting. Like, there's a reason why that guy was sent down or hasn't been relevant in the MLB. And then once these <clears throat> advanced analytic guys get a, a decent sample size – they can just pitch they can pitch around them so to speak or pitch through them and strike them out yeah it's there's always a flash in the pan when someone comes up like when Austin Riley came up earlier in the season and he went on that tear for like 15 16 home runs in the first like yeah. two months people end up you know they get the tape on him to see how he can be pitched and what he can't hit and they found out he yeah. can't hit a slider and so then the kid just you know started being awful which it happens i mean the big thing right now is trying to hit your stride going into September and then hoping you get one of those flashes in the pan from somebody, whether it be like a Matt Joyce or the Ortega guy that got called up or whoever it may be to try to catch them at the right time and put yeah. something together. But we'll see. Bullpen's still trash. So Oh, it's it's brutal, man. Like especially I didn't watch the game last <clears> night, but Newcomb, it's like every time I turn it on or see a highlight, he's giving up he's losing a game. 
I, I just don't like watching him pitch. It seems like every time he throws the ball, it's just throwing batting practice. Like, I, I know it's just the way he is, but it just seems like there's no effort. Yeah. So, I don't know. It's a waste well, of a good start for Soroka. That's for sure. Yeah, and I mean, I, the season has lots, still has lots of promise, and I'm excited to watch. Uh, I'm, I'm glad the Braves are just relevant, and they got all the talent. It's not like with football where it's, you know, your window's like one or two years. So right. I think there's obviously going to be an emphasis next, next offseason on relief pitching. So oh, yeah. hopefully they make it to the second round. I can't remember the last time we actually made it to the second round. Um, it's not been a while. Not a wild card game. Yeah, so I think this team has the talent to do it. So I'm looking forward to it. We'll see. Cool, man. All right. Well, let's jump into Yellowstone. Let's um, do it. So, last time we got together, we kind of summarized season one, just big takeaways, and then we got into the episode one of season two. Yep. So, I think our goal here is to talk episode two and three of season two. Cool. Um, so, I went back and listened to the podcast, and we talked a lot about Kevin Costner, the actor. Yep, but you had mentioned how much you love the character John Dutton, mm-hmm. so I just wanted to maybe jump off and just what about John Dutton? You know, draws you to that character. Well, I think we also talked too about the like the male figures in this show, mm-hmm. how it differs from a lot of the male figures you see in a lot of TV and movies today. Um, so one thing that's attractive about his character, I think, is just like the hardness of it, mm-hmm. right? So like not even to just people outside of his family, but also to his kids, right? There's no, there's no change how he interacts with his family versus how he acts with, you know, the general person on the street. And one of the lines, I think it was in episode two, maybe in episode three, when he's talking to the mayor uh, or the governor or whatever she is, he says, we don't have family. We just have family members that work for us or something like that. Basically, yeah. like, even our family members are just employees. Yeah, And so I think that it's just like the hardness of it where um, he takes no crap from anybody and he'll dish it out. Like you're finally starting to see him kind of do some of the dirty work, which I think is just pretty cool to see for him. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, the biggest thing I see with him and it's, it's, it's all along the same lines of what you just said, but um, I think, you know, especially how we were raised and the parental figure or the male figure that we saw, um, I think really uh, highlights what, what a marriage is supposed to be and at least in terms of my opinion mm-hmm. and like how, how I would um, try to try to, you know, create my marriage and my relationship and um, parenting and stuff is just that, you know, it takes two. And so for John Dutton, John Dutton, he's this very, I think it isn't, it isn't necessarily the male doesn't have to be this role. It can be the female too, but he's very kind of the uh, disciplinarian and kind of, you know, the silent, Mm-hmm. silent type and um you can tell that he was obviously with someone very loving which i think we talked about in the last episode i really right. wish they would ha- they would develop his wife a little bit more because we only saw her as like this huge bitch on that sh- on that one yeah. scene <laughs> so you gotta imagine that she was you know the loving part of that relationship and that was right. supposed to be that mm-hmm. for their kids and so i think you know when he lost that he's lost his ability to have that counterbalance and like his yeah. whole life, he really only knows one strategy and that's hard. And so yeah. if he had his wife and, you know, not, and that would just, that would go to more than just his, you know, how he raised his kids. It would also go to his business dealings. Right. He'd always have that counter and that, Hey, is that the best way? Maybe you should use some finesse in the situation. So I like for the same reason you said, you don't see that a lot in 
TV today, you know, that yeah. that alpha male or just any alpha personality, <clears throat> um, but spe- uh, specifically males in 2019, you don't see it. So I think it's, yeah, it's uh, reinvigorating and just kind of relatable to see that guy. I think they, I think they're <clears throat> doing a good job too. Where like, I think it's in episode two actually. So I'm sure we'll probably get to this where at the end he's in the helicopter with Casey, right? After he, spoiler alert, undergoes that like impromptu surgery mm-hmm. um, is where he talks about, you know, when you think you're going to die, you start, start living for today because you think tomorrow's, you know, not an option. They kind of show him like his humanity a little bit and show that he's like an actual person that thinks about things and isn't just this hard guy that you know doesn't give a damn about anybody or anything except for, you know, what he wants to achieve. And so I think that was like a good scene for his character and the development to kind of say like, yeah, he's a hard ass. He, you know, runs things the way he wants to run them, but he also, you know, has perspective on things. So I think they do a pretty good job of peeling it back a little bit. Yeah, for sure. Okay. All right. So let's get into episode two. So we start, we start out with him in the operating room or the, um, his, his doctor's office type thing, just coming out of surgery um, and it's, it's the cliche, you know, old man character that doesn't like being in the doctors and super vulnerable and he just wants to get the fuck out of there, which I get it. I mean, that's pretty normal of his character, but you know, it's like, oh, okay, we've seen this yeah. in movies and, and TV shows a lot, but, um, I guess it's, I guess it's important for them because then they set up the whole, uh, he's got to go to rehab and which is right. going to be another pretty cliche thing to see him in the pool and trying to get help so yep. they they kind of de- i don't know if i'd say developed but they they kind of double down on on his character and kind of who he is as a person yep um and you kind of just touched on it so there's a scene when they're coming back which i think is super super critical uh to season two where they are coming back in the car and um john dutton asked casey to to pull over and and they go into kind of you know his concerns about uh john dutton's concerns going forward you know there's being scared to die sonning no one is coming when you know it's coming tomorrow stops factoring into your decisions because you know you're never going to see it and then you <laughs> then you live you realize you ain't dead, you're not gonna die, and now you gotta face all them decisions you made. And out of all that, you gotta figure out how to let yourself start living again. And they're important because they really lay out kind of the impacts of his decisions in season one. Um, you know, and he says, hey, you know, uh, you got to inherit the decisions that you made while you thought you were dying that you were you didn't think you're going to have to deal with. Right. And now he's like, "Fuck, I can't undo all of these things." And now season two is about to be, you know, all the all the results of my decisions in season one, and that's yep. what I have to deal with. Yeah, I think it uh, in a roundabout way, without giving too much detail or too much insight, like you kind of you have to assume a lot of what he's referring to there, just based on what they showed in season one, and yep. based on like how they've kind of framed just the tone of that family that ranch and all the uh, like the wrongdoings that they're wrapped up in so i think that i think you're right to your point it sets kind of the the tone for how season two is going to go in terms of you know what to expect as far as repercussions of what uh they did in season one 
Yeah, because it, it, it kind of made season one. Like, he was making all these very short, short-sighted decisions um, mm-hmm. because, you know, he was so concerned that the, the ranch was going to be taken away. And that he mentioned it multiple times that none of his kids were ready. And so he was making all these very nearsighted decisions knowing that or thinking that he was going to be dead soon. And so now that he's not, you know, now he's having to, uh, he said he's feeling the impacts of his, his nearsighted decision. So I yep. think that was a really good opening scene or, you know, episode two is opening scene to saying, Hey, all this shit is about to happen in season two. Let's yep. get ready for it. Was it in season or excuse me, was it in episode one or episode two where he tells Beth to put the ranch in the trust? Was that episode one? Um, yeah, I think it was episode one. Yeah, that's that, where he decides to uh, to take uh, take Jamie off the payroll. Okay, yeah. So I think um, I think that too, because uh, episode two kind of gets into the Beth piece a little bit too, which I'm sure we'll get into. But I think that's a big piece too of why he's putting it in the trust is because to me, you know, that basically says it's going to make it even harder for someone to come and take this from us, right? It's not taking it from an individual; it's in a protected entity that has you know policies and procedures that need to be yeah. followed appropriate so i think that was like a kind of a cya thing to uh to ensure the the ranch yeah um so monica we've we've exchanged a lot of texts with monica so in episode two it's their first day as a teacher and they have that really awkward porn hub reference with oh, the, yeah. the kid in the front which i don't know if- did, but it was definitely um, some entertainment. Yeah, I mean, anytime someone wants to take a crack at Monica, I'm all for it. Right. Personally. Since she goes into her whole spiel about <laughs> power and the fact that you don't have any power, she, like, defines power. And she's so dramatic. It's like she's got this this gray cloud over her head at all times. And she's, like, carrying the burden of, of the uh, Native American people um the entire show dude it's so exhausting like i think it was the last time i was texting you about it because i just yeah. watched the most recent episode yeah. it's so exhausting man like it is a i don't think she's a good actress and if for some chance she ever hears this podcast i don't think you're a good actress <laughs> but i mean do you think she's begging the writers to be like can you give me another dimension other than miserable i mean i i would hope so i mean i hope that they start to change that i mean I, I think it. I think she's gonna try to change based on like what is happening in the current episodes. It's not like a hard turn. Like she's not just like turned over a new leaf, but they're gonna have to. It's either she turns over a new leaf and starts like stop being so damn depressing because it's it's boring to watch personally. Or they really have, is. Or they're gonna have to kill her. Like I, I I I hang my head every time they cut to a scene with her. Like I'm like this is going absolutely nowhere. There's no development in this character or any of her scenes. It is the exact same dialogue every time. Well, the thing is too is like they never even show her smile. So like in the scenes where you would think she would be, you know, kind of at least somewhat happy when she's like in the bed with Casey. Like they're literally about to have sex. You just had sex and she's got this <laughs> like smug look on her face. Like, yeah. If Courtney looked like that every time we were in the bed, I'd be like, oh, <laughs> we need to have a conversation about this. Well, well, she's constantly changing her mind. Like one episode or half, one half of the episode, she's like, I'm all about Casey and I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to really try to, you know, keep this family together and, and figure out this Dutton way. And then, you know, they have one night together and she wakes up the next morning and she's like, I, I totally hate these people. I want out. And it's like, yeah. you just made a decision less than 24 hours later or earlier that this is what you wanted. Like, what are you doing? Yeah. 
I hate to, this might be gentlemen episodes, but um, she talks about how big the bedroom is and the ranch that they're staying in and how large the house is. She's like, oh, yeah. People on the reservation have homes smaller than this stream. I'm like, that's nothing to complain about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you are there. Yeah, yeah she's, yeah, she's, she's obnoxious. She's miserable, man. Yeah, I, I don't want to spend too much on time on her other than to just rag on how bad her character is. And awful. If the writers are listening, I'm pleading with you to give her a little bit more to work with if you're going to show her that much. And I don't like, back to that whole power speech that she gave the first day in the classroom, I do think it was a cool monologue for someone if that character had shown any semblance of, like, strength, right? Right. Like, like they try to invoke this mental, like, spiritual strength that she has, like, this power to overcome, which I don't think really lands well. But she has, like... I don't that that speech could have resonated so much better if her character had developed a little bit more. Yeah, it's it's definitely a, a contradiction to who or we feel and what we see, other than when she's given a speech. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I'm I'm not a, not a huge fan. Um, so later in the episode, we see Beth. That's probably my favorite character or one of my favorite characters. I get so excited when she's gonna like. Throw in a zinger because she always has zingers. <laughs> yeah. uh, but she's uh, she's with Bob Schwartz, the mm-hmm. uh, her investment guy, and they're going through all the properties with that cheesy ass real estate agent, which I think she calls him a cheesy ass. Yeah, and she has that she has that great quote. Of- we'll write up the offer when it's done. Email it so we don't have to look at you again. And when you get your commission, I want you to shove it up your waxed ass, you cheesy motherfucker. Fuck, I hate real estate agents. She's so intense. Like, I don't think they like. I do love her character. I think we talked about this last time. Where I think, like, rip aside, she's my favorite character. But I don't think they've done a good enough job explaining why she's so hard. Like, is it all because of how the mom died and the guilt she carries, or is it just, I mean, a collection? Like, they haven't done enough. I don't think to explain why she's just a psychopath. Yeah, and. Especially with with her brother Jamie. Um, oh my god, they, dude! <laughs> they go back and forth. Like sometimes she does things that are pretty sisterly, and you know it's like this love hate relationship. But at the end of the day, she loves her brother, and she she wants somewhat what's best for him. I don't think she and does. Then, no, I I know. And then they'll completely flip it, and she'll be like this really like evil, like not just cold hearted and not tough love, like evil. I like I want to kill you. Like I want to be the reason you commit suicide. Here's a gun. So stuff. there was a, a foreshadow alert. There was a uh, a scene in the episode last night. I won't go into it, but where she has a conversation with him, and it's it's the most ruthless thing I've ever heard someone say, like TV, real life, and it was just out of nowhere. Like she just walks into the room, yeah, says these few lines, and I'm like, holy shit! Like that is pure hate. But I think they need to kind of explain why she has such disdain for him. Yeah, there's got to be more. I mean, I realize Jamie's a fuck up, but I don't think he's a bad dude. So, it's yeah, I think you're right. They need to somehow throw some one of those younger scenes in, which they have really went away from in this season. Yeah. Um, I started noticing is they don't – I think there was – I don't know if there was blowback. I, we talked about it earlier. They weren't my favorites. They heard your podcast and they cut yeah, that I think shit. They, I think they did hear the podcast. Yeah. It was awkward to see different <laughs> uh, actors. But, yeah, they need – he has to do something evil and he really hasn't done anything evil yet to really justify or, you know. Yeah. I don't know if it's just, she thinks he's so soft, which he is like spineless, but 
she just gets after him, man. Like it's I've never seen anything like it in TV. Yeah, I I don't know a similar or relatable relationship between brother and sister. Have you watched the most recent episode? Yeah, I did. So you probably know what I'm talking about. Yeah, you... I know exactly. Oh what I'm my god, about. dude. Yeah, unreal. It's, yeah, and that's why I'm like, wait a minute. Once you go that far, there is no love there. And so I'm confused <laughs> because in some episodes, it's like she's actually giving him advice and she's looking out for his best interest. And in others, it's just like that she fucking hates him. I think this is just, I, I feel like he's gonna end up killing her. That's something dramatic is going to come to a head soon, but then yeah. he's going to be involved for sure. I don't, yeah, I don't know what's going to happen, but, and it kind of already has come to a head at one point, um, but that's yeah. in a later episode. Yeah. Um, so Walker is in this episode a little bit. So yep. this is where, uh, they had the standoff him and rip had the standoff at mm-hmm. the building, the gate. Um, are Walker's teeth fake? Cause they seem super like <laughs> bright. His, his front teeth look like uh, gum. Let me see. I'm sitting in front of the computer, so I've got to Google this. I, shocker! I haven't really zeroed in on his teeth much, but uh, you haven't you haven't noticed that that they're just like weirdly white and like the two front teeth are kind of like perfect. No, I don't think so. I mean, what's that gum like back in the day? I'm trying to think of what that gum was. It looked like he just stuck two pieces of like rectangle gum in his teeth. For... Chick- chicklets? The chicklets. There you <laughs> go. That's what it looks, it looks like chicklets. Um, I can't. I can't see anything online. Not that I've noticed. Now I feel like every time they show him, if they do again, just wait. It's gonna be uh, the only thing I can look at. So he's another one of those characters where. I know I'm I'm not supposed to like him, but I wish they would develop him a little bit more. He's almost like uh, Monica, yeah. Where it's like he is the same, like whole drum type personality, and he's complaining about the same shit, but he's not really doing much to change it. Um, and it's like, dude, get over it. Like you, you're part of why you're here. Like this was your decision, so man up and just deal with it. Yeah, I, I don't think they did a good job either of kind of developing his backstory. Yeah, he was in prison. I don't know if they went into why. Um, I don't think it was a like a big deal why he was in prison. Like I don't think he killed somebody, obviously, or anything like too over the top. But they kind of just like dumped him into the plot. I think he, you know, I think there's more to come for his character. But uh, I think they just haven't done enough to develop it. And it's just kind of this guy that's there pissing rip off. Yeah, and there's been multiple like something like with the whole dinosaur bones. Like there's all these like <laughs> semi semi plots that they've thrown in there and i just they just haven't developed anymore and i don't know if they had like this grand plan i can't imagine they do to bring this shit up later but it seems like there's multiple plots that like they could have just left off and yeah they, they have just decided to like hey this isn't trending we're gonna throw as many fishing poles in the ocean as possible and we'll follow like something like a you know like a twitter to see what's trending and then we'll just keep writing for those yeah i mean oh here's a picture of his teeth i don't know yeah, I think he's just – that's his real teeth. Like, this is a picture of him, like Ryan Bingham. Well, next episode, I, mean, I don't think you're going to have to make yourself look now because I said something about it, but dude, something's off. Yeah. Oh. I don't know. He's probably got some money, so maybe he just replaced two teeth at a time. Yeah. We'll see. So, um, yeah, I liked in that scene where uh, him and, him and um, Rip are talking about why he chose this farm or why he was, why, why doesn't he go somewhere else? Mm-hmm. And uh, Walker goes, 
well, I guess something about not being welcomed or, you know, it's not that easy just to go to another ranch. And he goes, uh, I guess I got to find this for the farmer's daughter. Um, I guess that's something we got in common. Oh, and yeah. Rip, rip pops them a good one. Well, I, I think it was awesome. I called it when we were watching it. I was like, they're rolling out that, I guess, barbed wire fence or whatever it is. And you can feel like the, the tension building oh, up. Yeah. And I was like, something's happening with that fence. Either he's going to wrap it around his throat or something. And it just happened to be perfect when he cut it, hits him in the face, and starts this whole standoff. But uh, there, there's definitely a build. I, the first couple of episodes, there's a huge build up with Walker. And now I feel like, you know, I think we're in what, six or seven? Yeah. Um, it's kind of died down. And they really haven't dug into that anymore, which it goes back to what I was kind of saying. It's like they build it up and then it just kind of goes nowhere. Maybe that's just strategy. I don't know. Well, I guess, uh, I mean, I guess this will give a little bit away, but, um, you know, his character is off now right so like walker character is gone yeah so, but i think that that's gonna come back up because you know they take him to the train station or the that's right. train station that's right. that's right and casey's basically is like if you can keep your word then you know we won't kill you i think he comes back and i think that's gonna be a big thing but um maybe not in season two maybe in season three or something but um i definitely don't think that storyline's over yet yeah they don't bring him up i mean that character you could have taken you could deleted him from both seasons and it wouldn't have had any impact on the any impact on the season or the plot or any i don't think any really like character development he didn't really help develop any characters either i think that that doesn't come back out as a complete waste of time on screen well i think so i think one of two things either no one liked his character like you know which i said i don't think we're supposed to and they just don't bring it back because no one gives a damn or they bring it back because I don't think Rip will ever forget the fact that he wants to kill this guy. And I think he presumes that he's dead. I think he thinks Casey killed him. Oh, for sure. That's the code. I mean, that was kind of like yeah. business as normal. If you get the brand and you leave, you die because yeah. you're, you've been exposed to certain secrets. Right. But uh, back, to, back to the fight when Rip and Walker get into it. Uh, he hits him in the face with the... Uh, the fence wire or whatever punches him and then walker pulls out that little knife and rip, <laughs> and, rip and i'm sure i'm like misquoting he goes i'm gonna take that fucking knife and gut you with it <laughs> i, I would have just shit the knife. my pants yeah i would have yeah, just said sorry <laughs> like just stopped there's that old saying like you know don't bring fist to a knife fight i think it's gun to a knife fight but yeah. in that in that circumstance i'm pretty sure rip has the bigger Big, bigger weapons in terms of his hands other than that little pocket knife. Yeah, like you'd have to stab Rip, rip a yeah. thousand times with that knife. Well, we find out later he can take like two two bullets to the stomach and still whoop like two people's ass, so. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah pretty easily. Pretty easy, yeah. Um, okay, so later on, um, Casey's being brought into animal control or he's being processed as like an animal control agent. And they have that little moment where, you know, Casey is like super nervous about background checks and all that Mm -hmm. shit. And it just further develops like just like PTSD and just how just broken and just scarred this guy is. Not just from his military days, but, you know, he makes that comment um, to his dad. I think his dad's like, you know, what happened to you or something like that. He's like, you happened, dad. Uh, Then everything happened. Yeah, he says once they... So they do the background check and uh, they call um, whatever it is, I guess. And they say they're pulling up his history and the guy on the phone's like, Casey Dutton, no priors, right? So they basically wiped his. Which is an absolute lie, yeah. Yeah. And so uh, 
And then he goes, well, I don't think I'll be able to pass a polygraph. He goes, you won't have to. And he goes, I won't be able to pass a psyche valve. Yeah. And he goes, you won't have to, but what makes you think you won't be able to pass a psyche valve? And he just says, my whole life. Yeah. And then he kind of walks out, which is, to this point, I think, yeah, you knew that his character was kind of troubled and like has all this stuff. I don't know if he was just like this sad kid because his mom died. His dad obviously was pretty hard. His wife is a awful actress. Like, I don't know what's going on with him, but they finally get into it. I don't know if it's later this episode or episode three where he kind of gives a little bit more detail about what happened um, in the war. They kind of gives to, but I feel like they didn't do a great job, like, overselling that he had all these issues. Like, yeah, you could tell he was troubled, but you didn't know to what extent. Yeah, and that's kind of when I wish, hey, leave out the Walker stuff, you know, limit the Monica stuff, and let's pick three or four characters and dive into them and give me all this depth on three or four characters, and I don't care about the rest. Right. So, yeah, so, yeah I, I wish they would they would give me a little bit more so I believe, what, what is this pain to this guy? Because he's, sometimes he can be an Eeyore too. It's like, dude, Suck it up, man. Like yeah. you got this great inheritance. You got this. The dad is a tough love, but at least you got him. You got this family. You got all this stuff going for you. You got a wife and kids. Why are you so freaking bummed all the time? Well, I think the underlying like theme of this whole show is like you're right. They have this massive ranch. God knows how many acres they control. Filthy rich, whatever. And every single one of them is miserable, right? So I think it's like, yeah. oh, the whole money doesn't buy happiness thing. I think that's where they, they try to hang their hat on the show. It's like, even when you have everything, you have nothing. And like it, the more money, more problems kind of thing. But uh, I will say this. I've always liked Casey's character for the most part, but now they're getting like, now that he's, you know, getting back into the ranch and being integrated and all that stuff, you see that he is down for whatever. Like there's no divide. about Oh, I don't like doing what my dad did. He is down. Like he doesn't give a shit. And I hope he stays there because it's starting to scare me with Monica coming back into the fold. Like he's, he might get back out, which I think is terrible for his character. I think him being back in and him having like this very conflicting side where he doesn't necessarily want to run the ranch like this, but he also knows that this is what's needed. Yeah. I think that's a really good character to follow. I'll tell you, I mean, I have no reason to think this, but kind of what I hope happens, I think something i think either monica dies or i think something happens to their kid which i hope not um but i think one of something happens to one of them hopefully monica dies and i think casey just loses his shit they need to do something dramatic to shake up the series a little bit they need to take away like a monica i don't think they're going to kill the kid yeah um but i think they definitely need to kill like a monica type thing yeah Uh, just to shake up the series and like take it to that next level like all right this is why you know, X, Y, and Z happened because this really threw them over the edge type thing. Yep. Agreed. Okay. So I'm going to skip a little bit. So John has that conversation with Rip. I think there's a, a pretty, uh, I wrote down this quote. Uh, he says, in a lot of ways, you're the only person I can trust, Rip. You're the only, you're the only person that doesn't benefit when I'm gone. Mm. Um, which is, you know, 100% true. And so I think it just reinforces their relationship and, you know, Rip uh, pretty quickly accepts the fact that what's best for the ranch and what John wants is him to step down and let Casey do the lead. And, you know, I think he takes it um, well and he knows what his role is and um, he just does what he's asked and he's the perfect soldier. Yeah, I think it just shows like his commit, like unwavering 
commitment to to John Dutton for what he's done for him. But like, I think part of that too is I, and this is just my thought. I think John Dutton thinks that uh, Beth, like when he dies, will give that ranch to Rip or to make sure that he benefits substantially from that, like from his passing from all the stuff that he's done for their family and stuff. Mm -hmm. But now that it's in the trust, there's no way she could gift it to him. Right. And so I think that kind of, that's what I took when he was like, when I die, you're the only one that won't benefit from me dying from this ranch. Cause now it's in the trust. There's no way he's not a beneficiary. You can't change that. So there's no way for Beth to, to benefit rip at all with the ranch. So I think that's, that's what I took. Yeah. From that. Yeah. No saying. I mean, I think even there's this underlying, or there's just an interesting dynamic between those two, because it's kind of ironic that he's the only one that's not blood, but he's the one that he just completely trusts. And I think he trusts Casey, but he knows that Casey has these conflicting interests and Rip has no conflicting interests. He's basically, he's created like, or he's put himself in a small room with, you know, four sides and all his focus on is the ranch. Right. And he's always been indebted to the ranch and to John Dutton. And that is his, his only and sole focus. Everything else doesn't matter. And for every other character, they have these, competing interest um that if push came to shove maybe that they would make a decision that wasn't in the best interest of the ranch yeah and rips just not that way well i think to that point there was a good conversation like a quick scene between john dutton and rip where um after they have you know the fight between casey and rip to essentially because you know for people that don't know too much about the show there's no fighting on the ranch right, right? <laughs> that that's coming up hold off okay. i know where you're going hold off Okay. It's in the uh, two scenes from now. Well, there is. I'll just go to the quote then because it kind of relates to what you're saying. Is, um, Rip basically says, I hope you can depend on him, talking about Casey, because I haven't yeah. seen a shred of proof that you can. Yeah. And he says, well, Casey's my son, so I believe in him. And he basically, Rip goes, well, so is your Jamie. Our so yeah. is Jamie. Yeah. Which I thought was like a big, you know, kind of like a, a kick in the face to, to John Dutton, like, that doesn't mean a whole lot coming from you because they're both your sons and you look at them differently. Right. It's like, Hey, you know, like I understand how you feel, but there's proof that you don't exactly breed the most loyal people. Right. Yeah. Um, so there's a great scene, you know, Jimmy is, is my, probably my favorite of, of the <laughs> subplot guys. So right after that conversation with John, they, uh, they go into the bunkhouse and they're watching that college football game, with, uh, oh, yeah. the Cougar and the Wildcats, and, and Jimmy has his little quote. Okay, so just to clarify, Colby's mom, that's a Cougar? <laughs> <laughs> That'll be the last time you ever refer to my mom as a Cougar. She prefers Wildcat. <laughs> <laughs> they, they do a really good job of writing jokes for him, which are uh, oh, pretty yeah. unique to the show. And he's always hit. I think it's part of his delivery and how he looks because he's so green. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you can't help but love Jimmy. And he looks like, if I saw him on the street, assuming he dressed the same way, he looks like a meth head. I think oh. he would have casted that any better. Yeah, which he is in a previous life. Right, yeah. Um, okay. Um, so then I think you're, yeah, we're getting kind of later in the show or in the episode and, um, there's been a kind of ha- the whole changing of the guard is starting to happen. And, and John really wants, uh, Rip to push it to a head with Casey. Um, and he knows there has to be a, a fight scene mm-hmm. and there has to be like this, you know, respect given to Casey and, you know, 
Rip knows there's only one way to do that, and he kind of uh, two birds, one stone, and he knows he's going to attack Walker, and so, you know, they do that whole thing, chase into the woods. Yeah. Which I think if if uh, Walker actually hit a tree as fast as he hit a tree, <laughs> it would split him in half. Well, that guy weighs like a buck seventy. Yeah, like wet. soaking wet, and uh, yeah, you hit that tree off like perfectly perpendicular too. Go, it would have split him in half, <laughs> like thirty miles an hour, and he just dust himself off like it was nothing. No, yeah, I mean he's not knocked out; he's he's completely conscious, which yeah. is not realistic at all. I thought he was gonna be dead. Like I thought that was how he died, but but it give it gives us our fight scene, which is. Are my favorites, so Casey and Rip. Oh, actually, anything with Rip fighting is is half chub for me. Oh yeah. Um, this isn't. I think for this sure. would be like my number two. My still favorite number one scene is in the first seasons when he saves Casey from that bear and just gently puts his hat on his oh, horse yeah. and just <laughs> fights him and then says, "I got work to do." But yeah. this is this is still a great one. Yeah, when he when Casey says, "I'm surprised Dad let you off the leash." Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's a good so, one. Uh, it reminded so this fight scene reminded me of that that the uh, scene in um, Troy with uh, oh, yeah. Brad Pitt on the first one when there's just kind of everyone knows what's about to happen and yeah you know Troy which is ripping the scene just walks in and it's like dear God like I feel bad for whoever's about to fight this guy yep that right there just side note is probably my favorite scene in any movie in history yeah we're gonna do a rewatchables on that by oh the way. my God all time favorite. Actually, my favorite line in that movie, just to stick there for a second, when so the beginning of that movie, right, and there's the two armies and the guy's like, You get your best soldier, I get my best soldier. And they call out this giant guy, right? And army goes nuts. And then he calls out Troy or Achilles and he just doesn't show up, right? And they show him in the tent with like two mm-hmm. women, like he had just been having sex all night. And this kid walks into the tent and he goes, Troy, this our Achilles this is the biggest man. I've ever seen. I wouldn't want to fight him. And he looks at this kid who's like five years old and he goes, that's why no one will remember your name. Yeah. Like, he just destroyed that kid's life. Right. There. Yeah. Yeah. No, there's so many, there's so many quotes from that movie that just like give you uh, cold chills and just like, that's the hardest line ever. Oh, love that movie. And I, I, I don't understand why that movie isn't um, talked about more than it is. Mm-hmm. I thought it was an amazing movie, but yeah. So yeah, that that scene, that, just that fight sequence, reminded me just of giving the same the feels as uh, as Troy. Um, I think it's pretty obvious when you say that that Rip took the fall on purpose. I don't yeah. think Casey wins that fight, and I think everybody there knows that too. I think it was kind of like, again, there's no fighting on the ranch. There ain't no fighting on this ranch. If you want to fight. You come find me. I don't know. I I think that it's more of just like a kind of just a semblance of like, okay, this is everything changing. Not that it's no one for a second believes Casey's whipping Rip's ass. Yeah. Like n- never. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I, I don't think there's a question on, on what happened there. And, um, and it happened so fast there on, on the ranch anyway. So I think it's, it's, Somewhat forced, but they get it. It's it's John's blood, and that was always his dream. So, yep. um, so there's another dinner table sequence in here, and so I'm getting kind of, it's kind of played out, the whole dinner scene and this awkward, yeah, fighting, and I feel like I've seen the same team, uh, same scene now like 35 times. Um, 
so I wish they would find another way to get the family together to have like these conversations that isn't dinner. Like, mm-hmm. I guess like I get it because it's something you would do on the ranch every night, but I all those dinner scenes are running together because I've seen that scene so so many times. Oh, I can already tell you where that's going to end. It's going to end at some point at the end of a season or the end of the series where they're all finally having a normal dinner at that table, and it's going to be super corny. Yeah, I'm, ca- I'm calling it. <laughs> yeah, I, I wish they would just do away with those. Yeah. Um, so there's a there's a really, I think, cool scene with Beth and Rip. Uh, they're sitting on the grass, kind of overlooking the ranch, and mm-hmm. you know, Beth is concerned that. Rip is going to leave um, now that he's been reduced to the bunkhouse. And I think it just, you know, Rip just kind of comes in quickly and, and just, you know, sets, sets it straight. Don't let you. This is my family. Whether you all think of me that way or not. Yeah. Um, which I think is powerful, you know, because, again, you see Rip and it's just this big burly dude who you know beats everybody's ass and doesn't take shit from anyone he's like snarky he looks like a fucking grizzly bear and uh it kind of peels it back to like yeah i'm this i'm this hard-nosed him and john dutton are very similar i think where they're both really hard-nosed but they also have like this deep layer of compassion for people they care about they just have a an interesting way of showing it yeah and they they definitely do a good job i think him and john dutton are are almost identical characters um, kind of like you talked about earlier, you see this really hard, or it's a really hard persona, but with people that they care about the most, whether it be Beth or someone like Casey with John Dutton, like you see this, the softer side that mm-hmm. no one really else gets to see. And I think that's important. It's just the likability of the character and just the depth. Right. And I'm glad those scenes exist. Yeah, I agree. It's a, uh, I think there's a lot to come from Rip too. I think it's, there's another scene I, I'm lost on what episode it is now. I think it's one of the later ones, but where he talks about, you know, where he spent his money. I won't get into it and talk about it later, but where he spent his money, right? I don't know if you recall that and how it was uh, to take care of his yeah. mother. That yeah. right there, I was like, that was them peeling back the layers. On that was Rip. important. Oh, yeah. man. Great scene. That was a great scene. I think it's in the later ones. Yeah, I can't. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm anxious to kind of get to that one. That was one of my favorite scenes of the season. Oh, yeah. So that brings us all to the end. And I, don't, I don't think we have to spend a lot of time, but they just talk. It's like the whole physical therapy scene. He goes back to the, you know, the cliche bitter old man and the awkward. I don't know why John Dutton's character is swimming, swimming across a crowded pool underwater and just bumps into <laughs> Monica's rehab guy. I don't think that would actually happen in real life, but um, yeah, it's kind I, of necessary. Well, I mean, I think it was necessary because they, that part of the scene or how that episode ends, right. Is, so Casey's in there kind of laughing at his dad, you know, doing this rehab and swimming, whatever, because he knows his dad hates it, which I think it's kind of cool. They add the comedic piece in there, but at the same time as he swims into Monica and Monica sees Casey and it's this kind of, this kind of look has exchanged where you see that, yeah, they're probably still in love with each other. They haven't gotten over each other, but on the flip side, Monica is with a physical therapist that happens to also be Native American, also happens to be an attractive dude, and is the yeah. same age, right? I'm like, that, that's just they should they made that too easy. Like, yeah, that, that was that whole part of the story was stupid to me. But yeah, no, I agree. Well, it involved Monica, so yeah, 
Just kill that... kill that bitch already. Yeah. Just <laughs> let her let her drown on a floaty. A floaty gets popped and she just drowns. Yeah. Legs and somehow hurting. for for a couple of episodes, like she could barely walk and now she's just upright. They just went straight from cane to no cane. Like she's all all better now. Actually, we shouldn't call for her being fired. We should call for who's ever in charge of writing her character to be fired. Yeah, it just, it just makes no sense. When you know they got talent, like they've developed. I mean, it's got to be hard to develop someone like John Dutton and Rip's character to to give them a soft side. You can't give her a little extra dimension. She it's can tr- only be miserable. It's got to be like an intern or like the director's <laughs> kid. It is like an intern. Hey, you got this shitty character. You can't <laughs> fuck it up. Just write miserably. It's fine. <laughs> All right, so that's season three or episode two. So getting into episode three, um, we kind of start with Casey trying to to lead the Wranglers, and there's just like, I would say a hesitation, not really an awkwardness, but you can tell that Casey just wants to lead differently than Rip. He's different than Rip. Rip is very iron fist, and hey, you know, orders are orders, yep. which is kind of interesting. I don't think is I understand why they do it, but if with Casey's background being in the military, it would seem to me that he would be pretty good at that, especially if he's been in combat in a war zone. Yeah. Uh, even if he was like an enlisted dude that was taking orders, I think he would know what a good leader looks like and someone that is commanding folks. So maybe that's not the best. Maybe it's a little bit of a contradiction to his. I think it's needed for the, the Yellowstone as a whole. Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, obviously you're in the military, so you can attest to this more so than I can as far as, you know, taking orders and stuff like that. But even in a, a normal setting for me at work where you have leadership that dictates, you know, the course of your day, the project that you're working on. I think that even though people are exposed to leadership and command and direction doesn't necessarily, yeah, they may be experienced in how that's delivered and how to follow orders. But I think being able to do that is like an innate ability. Like you can't, no, it is. I don't think you can be taught to be a leader, right? Like that's an internal quality, how to facilitate those things can be taught and learned, but I think being able to lead people, that's a personality trait, right? And I think 100%. Casey's just too somber and laid back to like rip so much more aggressive and assertive. And I think that's where, uh, that's where the issue lies for him. Yeah. And you know, leadership is among us in every, every aspect of life, you know, especially at work. And so I think the big difference between Casey and rip is I think rip understands that, there's no such thing as a perfect decision or strategy, especially when, like, even if you're talking about something as, you know, I won't say silly, but like meaningless of, of how you're going to move cattle. And it's just like uh, a direct decision is better. Like a, even if it's like only 80% correct, right. if it's a direct decision and um, you have confidence in it, it doesn't matter if it's 100% correct. There's no such thing as a 100% correct decision, but right. If you're giving a decision, there's indecisiveness and you're unsure of your own decision and how you're doing it. Like it's never going to be executed well by the people under you. Right. And I think that's Rip is saying is like, dude, just, we don't care if it's the perfect decision. Like come up with what your decision is and let's move forward. Like don't leave it open, open into for people to, to question you or to second guess your decision. Yeah. I think I was trying to find the quote. I can't remember it exactly, but so in that scene when Casey's trying to set the tone for the day and tell them what they need to do. Uh, I think they were, yeah, moving cattle up to a different field or whatever it was. And Casey was like, is there any questions? And then the, the ranchers start just rattling off questions and Casey or rip finally was like, don't ask, don't tell them what to do. Don't let them ask questions or else the questions will never stop. Right. right. Cause those guys are just cogs in a wheel. They're your followers. Right. So right. 
constantly question everything. So yeah, I think that was a big thing actually. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's a cool thing about this show is there's it's pretty applicable to life. I mean, especially if you work for folks like you know the difference between a good leader and a great leader. Right. And that is someone that's able to make decisions with half the information and maybe they're not they they accept that they're gonna be wrong and that's okay. And I think the people that under them don't expect them to be right all the time, but it's still important to have confidence. Well, I think too, um, is you have to there has to be a certain level of confidence in yourself that can be displayed, whether you have it or not, but be able to have perceived confidence from the people that are following you. So those guys don't have any confidence in Casey because Casey doesn't have it in himself, right? Exactly. You could be completely wrong, but if I go out there like chest held high, voice up, you know, like hey, this is what we're doing, it could be 100% wrong. But if you say it a certain way and deliver it, you know, a certain way, then people will listen to you. So, yeah. Um, so moving on a little bit. So there's a really cool scene um, with Jamie and Governor Perry where mm-hmm. she's about to walk him into a landmine, which is rainwater. Yep. And so she's like setting him up and just saying, hey, you know, I don't think you really understand the rules of this game and really lays out the difference between running for office and and holding office. You're getting the crash course in politics today. But always remember this, Jamie. Running for office and holding the office are two very different things. Holding the office requires honor, integrity, tempering every act with wisdom. Running for office requires none of those things. It is a zero-sum game, and winning is the only thing that matters. Right, and again, going back to Jamie's personality, he's soft, spineless, like can't make a decision for himself, right? And I think Beth even alludes to it in in a later scene in the show where she basically says, you're waiting for the world to tell you what you are and who you are, right? They're just going to eat you up and spit you out. Um, And I think that's kind of evident in this scene where his face is just so taken aback by – the situation that he's found himself in with the governor, with rainwater, basically with him having no funding, right? Because John Dutton, they, they brought in that, uh, that blonde girl. I can't remember her name now. Um, yeah, I don't remember her name. You do it. But, uh, so I think he's just like, everything's always gone so smoothly for him because he's a Dutton and now he's got some adversity and some tough decisions to make. And he, you can tell he has no idea what to do. Yeah, and I, I think it's it's pretty in line with his character. I mean, I think when he got into law, he probably only saw the good side of law. And he was just so excited about doing good things and, you know, doing things the right way and, you know, doing law for good. And now he's being exposed. He's kind of like naive, like kind of like a child. Sure. Where it's like, dude, did you not know that part of being a politician is like you got to get your hands dirty? And I think he's just so taken back and – so unable to do that because he doesn't have that kind of I don't know if I call it dog but just kind of like the ability to to get his hands dirty and so you know he's just finally being woken up and seeing like these are the guys I have to play with and this is what I have to do to actually win and he's just not capable it's not in him well I think too it shows like even though his family essentially disowned him cut him off of payroll kicked him out you know stripped him of up until this point, his ability to run for attorney general or district attorney, whatever it is he's running for. Um, And when he finds himself in this situation, it's always like, it's immediate that he's like still concerned about his dad and what his family's going to think. And because he's, you know, basically says later to his girlfriend to, to beat her, the opposing candidate, he's going to have to attack his dad. 
right? Mm-hmm. After all this stuff, his dad whips his ass, cuts him off, cuts his, cuts him off payroll, and he's still like that's his first thought is, oh, can I do this to them? Yeah, and you know, in that first episode, I think when we first get introduced to Casey and he just like tears up the courtroom. It's it's funny how now he's just like this softy. Yeah. In that initial scene, I thought he was going to be like this legal shark, hardest. Yeah. yeah. And he's just not that guy. He's just he's really smart and he's good at being a lawyer, but only like one type of lawyer. He's yeah. He's not like his family, and yep. so which is important. I think they needed that character to show that hey, you know, not all the Duttons are ruthless. There's just one guy that's kind of the runt of the litter, so to speak, in terms of ruthlessness. But they they also do a good job, too, of, yeah, even though he's different from them and he's not, you know, just this cold-blooded mercenary-type character, he wants to be, I think. Like, he wants to be able to relate to them in that capacity where he's like, you know, I want to be able to do this and I want to be able to handle family business and, you know, and do the things that what he thinks John Dutton respects his other kids for. But then when he finds himself in those situations to do those things, he just can't. Like, it's just not in his DNA. Yeah. yeah. So speaking of Governor Perry, is it is that a hot take to say she's smoking? Oh, dude. No, it's not a hot take at all. She's Louise. Who is, who is she? Like, who is she? Her real name. She needs to be in more movies. She needs <laughs> to be in lots of things. Um, Wendy... Moniz, I think I don't know how to pronounce her last name. Wendy I Moniz. need to go look up her IMDb and, and record a couple movies. <laughs> yeah. Let's pull it up right now. She is she is smoking, um, um, especially in that scene with uh, John Dutton at the bar. You know who she's married to? Who? So her la- her full last name is Wendy Moniz Grillo. She's married to Frank Grillo. Who's that? So you know if you saw him, he's in the Avengers movie. Um, he was in the Purge movie. He's like the Italian dude that's just yoked. Like, look up Frank Grillo. You're gonna know as soon as you see him. You're gonna know who he is. I'll look him up. He's in a ton of stuff. Um, well, good for him. Yeah. Well, this dude, he's like a. He looks like a real life rip. Like he would probably just rip your head off your shoulder. So, apologies, Mr. Grillo. <laughs> Please don't come on me <laughs> yeah. down. It's it's all it's all with respect. She looks like a nice lady. Yeah, he's a. Uh... He's actually a pretty good actor. I watched a movie with him yesterday, him and Anthony Mackie, called Point Blank. It's an okay movie, but uh, he's a legit badass. Hmm. Well, I love that scene with, with her and, and John at the bar. I mean, mm-hmm. there's another cliche. They need to stop doing cliche-ass things with John because it's kind of annoying me, but when he does the whole, uh, my father's fault, those bastards, and now we drink their wine. Yeah. Like, he's that upset. <laughs> like, come on. I don't think that guy would be that bitter about it. They just make him seem like, I don't know, so cliche. This old head, like, yeah, I had the, just too much. We got it. I had the conversation with Courtney actually last night. We were talking about Monica and the whole oppressed thing, but I think it relates to for this scene you're talking about. It's like, I don't. I mean, maybe it's just me. Maybe it's a, a white male American thing. I don't know, but like, I don't care too much about. I don't want to say culture, although I, I feel like that's what I'm talking about. And uh, you're going to hear my dogs in the background. <laughs> but, no, uh, like, there's one scene where it's something talking about the reservation. It's like, oh, our grandfather's camped here. Or, like, our grandfather's fought that guy. Like, for me personally, maybe it's because I didn't have a relationship with my grandparents. I could give a shit less about anything. Like, when my grandfather camped, I don't give a damn. You know, yeah. like, I don't see why people, why there's an emphasis and, like, an appreciation for those things. 
Maybe that's just me. No, I think that's a very white culture thing. I mean, um, I think white culture, you know, especially when I, where I went to school, there was just so much diversity just because, you know, it's kind of recruited all the across America, but, um, especially in like Spanish culture. And I had a, I had a friend that was, I don't, I'm trying to think. So he, he's black, but his, I think his mom was like from Africa or South Africa or something like that, but just the emphasis on family and community and not like the way that we think about a community, but like your family and your extended family being in this community and like, this uh difficulty with like leaving your family because they depend on you and everybody has their own specific little you know job and responsibility Mm -hmm. and it's all for the great the greater good of your family like that's not something i think is like important in white culture like you grow up you leave your parents and then like it's on you to go do everything and like you're not expected to give back to your brother or sister like right that's their life and they're in you know which is good and bad there's always pros and cons to everything but yeah, I don't feel this, you know, like my dad's adopted. And so right. people like, you know, like even with my dad is, is a, like, I don't really feel myself ever waking up in the morning. Like, I really wish I knew who my grandfather was. Like, I really don't care. And I, I don't know if that makes it weird for me. No, I know my grandfather and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. Like I said, they didn't have a relationship with me. Like, I don't feel like this void. Same. Because yeah. It's like, I've, I've got other relationships. Yep. I think that's definitely a white culture thing. Yep. Agreed. But yeah, I mean that's that's definitely in here. Um, I think multiple times. I don't understand the the reservation thing. I'm just like fucking leave the reservation. It sucks so bad. <laughs> I, I don't get just it. Just move. Like I don't get it. Like your grandfather camped there because they didn't have construction. They didn't have yeah. You know what I mean? I, like it's innovation, man. Get with the times. Yeah, it it is. It's weird, but I think that definitely exists, and it's even it's it's confusing in real life. It's just like I don't understand why there's this this tie to. It's like you're you're putting a ceiling on your own potential and right. what you could do in life for people that aren't even there anymore. Yep, I agree. It's weird. It's definitely not. It's it's something that white culture I think is it's it's not prominent. Yeah. Um. So in that same scene with Governor Perry and John, like they keep going back and forth. So I feel like a time there, like Governor Perry was kind of turned her back on John mm-hmm. and was. Uh, not really for, you know, pulling favors for him anymore, but they go back and now they're and stuff. And now she's back on his team. So I, if I had like a critique, which I have many on this show, that'd be one. Like she flip flops a lot on exact. I don't really know what she, her interests are or what her purpose is. Yeah. Well, she's I think, kind of like, she's like ever seesaw. Well, I think the only reason that they, Oh, I think it's, I think there's a couple pieces to this. So first, I think in terms of her flipping sides and what her interests are aligned to is the agreement that she made with John for the attorney general or the DA, whatever it is, was that she was supposed to be able to pick the candidate that she wanted to succeed the outgoing um, office holder, right? And then mm-hmm. he essentially self-nominated Jamie because Jamie expressed an interest, Right. And so that was kind of her saying, okay, look, we've done, I, I've scratched your back. You've scratched mine for so long. This is supposed to be my thing that you're really going to help me with. And you made it all about you and your family. Um, and so that's why she even says in that scene, you chose to make me fight you. Right. And then, you know, whatever, I guess. And I think the second part of that is they have like this romantic 
connection where his wife passed away. They talked about how her husband passed away. It's like they, mm-hmm. they find solace, I think, in being able to fill that void to a certain extent, right? Because convenience, yeah. Yeah, because even in that scene, they she she asked John, you know, because they're laying on the couch and they're about to get it in, and she says, you know, do you think we'll ever fall in love again? Right? It's like you don't know at this point if she is in love with him and he just hasn't moved on from his wife because he's still clearly in love with her, or what the dynamic is. So she asked him if she thinks or if he thinks he'll ever fall in love again. And he says, a resounding no. Yeah. And he says, no, without any hesitation. And right. she says, me either. Right. Which I think is a big piece there where it's like, it kind of defines their relationship a little bit, I think. Yeah. And I, I think she would definitely be into it if he was. I think that was just kind of her knee jerk reaction to say no to. Yeah. And then he goes, we're not screwing, are we? Yeah. And she's, she talks, classic Mel. She starts talking about his dick. He's like, you know, I'm older. It takes it a little bit longer to get up and a little bit longer to get, get up. Yeah. That was great. That's fine. Yeah. I, I think their relationship is a couple French fries short of a Happy Meal relationship. Oh, yeah. But, um, but hey, you, you do what you got to do to get through the day. Yeah. And that that's actually the scene I was referring to earlier was when they were talking about, you know, families and stuff like that. And the quote yeah. was, she says, we don't have families. We have employees we are related to. Yeah. And I was like, damn, that's a, that's a cord right there. That would s- to suck to feel that way. Yeah. No kidding. If yeah, your, your whole life was just like a game of, of like chess and monopoly, mm-hmm. just trying to acquire things. Um, so in this episode, we, we finally meet or we get to meet the Beck brothers. So the trailer had the Beck brothers in here. Yep. Um, and so I think they – I know they play, and we've seen other episodes, so they play a vital role. Um, I really like the McDonough guy. Oh, Neil McDonough, um, yeah. Yeah. So I recognized him, and I went back and looked at his IMDb, and uh, what I had recognized him was from Walking Tall, which yes. he plays the exact same character. The casino guy, yeah. The casino guy with uh, Johnny Knoxville on the rock. Yep. Yeah. He's always – I mean, I guess this is just his niche, but he's always like a bad guy or a dude with like an edge. Like he plays such a good, you know, scumbag, like angry yeah. villain type dude. Like in every role he's in, it's always that. Yeah, he does. He does really good in the show. He's actually I looked him up. He's from Dorchester, Massachusetts, which is like really. really close to here. Yeah. Um, but I, I like that. I like that casting. I think he I mean, we will get into him later, um, but I think he does a really good job. I would think it was a great casting. Yeah, I agree. I like his character a lot. Yeah. Um, so later on, we get into uh, Avery and Jimmy get go to uh, get some supplies or whatever. And um, they run into those tweaker friends and kind of sets the stage for, I think, later later things. Um, it goes through, well, I know it goes through, you know, the rest of the season. But, yeah, you know, Jimmy owes money um, to the his tweaker friends for whatever reason. Um and they kind of get into it in the parking lot. Yeah, I think that was a interesting scene because they started with those two guys in the hardware store, whatever that was. And you're kind of like, all right, what are these? Who are these guys? What are they doing? And then you kind of get an idea of what it is they're they're shopping for, yep. a based on how they look and when they freak out when the police officer walks in. But yep. I think that was I think the character they've done the best with is Jimmy's character for his development, right? Yeah, they've done a great job. Because I think that was a big scene where he clearly gets approached. His, his past is coming back. Like, hey, you, you owe us some money. So just go do this for us. 
and then he clearly makes the decision to to not help those guys out, and they get into that altercation. Um, yeah, that, and he's really turn, he's turned the corner. You know, that was kind yeah. of a decision point for him that hey, I've, I've moved past that line. Yeah, but man, those guys are going to beat the shit out of him. Like, <laughs> I'm so glad he didn't try to fight those dudes. Yeah, well, it, it also sets up uh, one of your favorite scenes where he goes back and the old man walks out and <laughs> wants to know why they, why there's uh, you know the, the bear spray or whatever, and, and Jimmy tells him it, it went off his, in his car, and the old man talks about the piss in the boot. Jimmy, you ain't got sense enough to pour warm piss out of your boot. Like, I know that's an insult, I just don't understand how. <laughs> don't stop scrubbing until the smell's gone. Yeah. Like, I'm aware of the insult. I just... Why is there piss in my boot? <laughs> Fucking love Jimmy. Yeah. That's like two, that's like two uh, uh, great quotes back-to-back with Jimmy between the, the cougar and the, the piss in the boot. Yeah, he's a, he's a fine character. Yeah. So there's more Monica in here. There's like the whole romance with that guy. Dumb. That's up. Um... You know, more more Beck brothers and uh, Dan Jenkins, and they, you know, they basically go into his little office or whatever, intimidate him, and are trying to get him to pull out. I uh, uh, of the deal. I like that scene because at first you think that you kind of get the vibe he's they're going to be bad dudes, right? Just because of that character, the Neil McDonough guy, um, he just looks so intense. But you think that okay, maybe they're just trying to halt construction, right? Because and now they're competitors for their casino business. But when he goes in there and drops the line, uh, Dan Jenkins like, oh, you can take me to court. And he's just like, well, I sit on, I'm the chairman or whatever of the, of the liquor board or whatever it is. And he's like, and that uh, license request you got is going to be denied and it might take until next year to get appealed mm-hmm. or something. And I'm like, okay, these guys, he just pulled his dick out and showed Jan Dinkin, Dan Jenkins who was who. And so it kind of gives you like insight that these dudes – aren't so straight edge yeah and it kind of gives you the illusion too that they're going to tag it with john dutton yeah and so they're going to be like a formal opponent against jenkins and and rainwater right. which turns out to not be true whatsoever. <laughs> not, not even close yeah no i i like the beck brothers um i think dan jenkins has become a more i don't know if likable is the right word but necessary and he's got some character development to a certain degree and you almost start feeling bad for this guy because it's like at the end of the day this guy was just trying to develop some land and and be a developer like he didn't have any type of intent now he's in this between you know rainwater john dutton now the beck brothers and he's just like too far to get out now yeah i I flip-flop on how i feel about him because in one in one vein he's just this business dude trying to do what's best for him his family makes some money but then when the shit hits the fan and you realize you're in way over your head, I mean, they tried to kill him, right? Like, he should be dead. Leave. Like, who, who the fuck? Any normal person would get the fuck yeah. out go build somewhere else. Like, and, he's yeah. like, and then when Casey breaks into his house or whatever in that episode, he's like, you know, this fucking place. Like, why are you still here? You, you clearly yeah. don't have the wherewithal or the means or just anything to compete with any of these people. You're just like a pawn getting moved all over the board. Get the fuck out. You know you're getting screwed, bro. Get the fuck out of there. Yeah, he he knows in the next episode he's getting screwed when the Rainwater uh, does the announcement and, like, just tells him straight up, like, I'm annexing the land. It's like, dude, get the fuck out. Your your business partner or whoever your lawyer is telling you right now, you're getting fucked. Like, that was every asset he had. That was everything. And it's gone. Yeah. Like, 
it, it's become almost like purely principle where in real life this guy would be a terrible business person <laughs> because he it's all principle to him. It has nothing to do with like actually is this right. a good decision business. Yeah, so I go back and forth on him. It's like you, you do kind of feel bad but at the same time it's like now you're doing it to yourself, man. Yeah. So the rest of the episode is is really good dialogue and just kind of um, action scene. Well, I guess not action scenes, but just kind of like aggressive dialogue between Jamie and um, either his girlfriend or oh, Beth. Yeah. Yeah. And so there's, you know, I think how it sets up is Jamie kind of insinuates to his girlfriend that he's thinking about withdrawing and they kind of have like a little tiff and he kind of just walks mm-hmm. out and then he's just like super conveniently right next to Beth's office. Right, yeah. Uh, and he just turns the corner. Oh, this is yeah. where Beth's office was. Like, I didn't realize that. Let me walk small in town. Here. Yeah, small town. And then she's, she's there and it's like nine o'clock at night. Yeah. Um, but other than that, uh, I think it's a great scene when, you know, Beth just lays it out for Jamie and just says, hey, like, dude, no bullshit. This whole politician thing, like, just isn't for you. And like, hey, here's, here's the reasons why. Jamie, you're not a politician. Okay. Politicians believe that they can manage people's lives better than they can. The best politicians are narcissists. The very best should probably be committed. You aren't that. Let's be honest, you don't know who the fuck you are. And you're looking for the world to tell you. You reek of desperation. And they can smell it. Every time they, they converse, she just destroys this guy. Yep, she, and that, even in that scene, like she like lets him have it, which is like tough love. But then it's like Jamie just come home or something, right? Like that, you know, it's just like wait a minute, I'm confused. <laughs> Does she care about this guy, or is she just really like wanting to force him over the edge to the point where he's like, uh, no, I think I'm better. Yeah, you know, I wouldn't be surprised. This their dynamic's so weird. Either he's gonna kill her, or they're gonna have sex. Like I don't know which way it's gonna go. <laughs> it's weird. Beth, Beth and her brother. Yeah. Just, just. I mean, she's crazy. He's got some internal conflicts. It's gonna be like an incestual, like. Like I fuck. think she's gonna rape him just as a point to show how weak he is. <laughs> like bends him over the. the yeah, stall. just lets him have it. Gives him the gives him the, the horsey dick. Yeah, pretty little mouth boy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I hope that doesn't happen. <laughs> That'd be awkward. I don't think I'd want to talk about that. Yeah, we'll skip that if so. Yeah. Um, so just the end, man, I think they, you know, to bring it all together in the last, you know, they're doing a whole other dinner scene, which we've already, you know, number 862. Yep. Um, but, you know, Jamie comes back and Casey has that classic, uh, where have you been? Oh, and yeah. Like Beth just goes into like the Joker, like, ha, 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 like just – just loses it because it's just like this is so fucked up type situation. Brutal. Yeah, it is. And we get a little Chris Stapleton at the end. That's uh, this is the episode where John Dutton walks off into the distance, and you've got uh, what's that? Is that whiskey and me? Whiskey song and you. Comes on? Yeah. Whiskey and you. I yeah. think that was like a great scene to uh, to end the episode with. To end the episode with because you know after Beth starts maniacally laughing at Jamie at the dinner table, John walks away and he sees rip like walking in the distance like in between the sprinklers like just doing his new job like no complaints just doing what john asked and he uh he like kind of looks up at the sky and he says you know god damn you for leaving me talking about his wife um and it kind of played to me like maybe rip feels the same way like he saw john 
as like his dad, you know, like his male figure. And it's kind of like he just at the drop of a hat turned on him in terms of what he was doing. And so I think it was kind of like a nice scene to, again, they're the similar character, similar type of person as they kind of like tie them together um, at at that point, which I thought was pretty cool. No, yeah. I mean, and then you lay Chris Staples on top of that. I mean, it doesn't get much better than that. No kidding. Yeah, no, I thought that was a great scene. Yeah, for all the same reasons. It's, uh, I think they were doing more than just saying that quote. They were definitely showing some similarities between the right. two and what, what they're both going through. Obviously, different situations, but... Agreed. Yeah, man. Well, I think that wraps it up. I know you got to get out of here. Um, so, I think, what are we at? Episode... I mean, what's real, real, real time? Are we at episode seven? Uh, I don't know. I think it's seven or eight... I can't remember. Seven or eight, I think. So I'm going to see... I started wa- watching through episode four already. And so I'm going to see if maybe we can't combine four, five, and six um, to get through to try to get caught up. Because I think there's only two episodes left. Okay, yeah. We can do that. So I'd like to catch up. That way we can maybe right after the finale, um, we'll be caught up and do something right after just initial reaction. Cool. Sounds good. Cool. All right, All dude. Right. Thanks for calling Absolutely, in. Man. See you. I'll, I'll get with All you later. Peace. Bye. That's the difference between whiskey and you. One's a devil, one keeps driving me insane. At times I wonder, oh, if they ain't both the same, one's a liar. helps to hide me from my pain. And was a long gone bit of truth. That's the difference between whiskey and you. Oh, that's the difference between whiskey.